0: it's time for forward nation radio now here he is the host of forward nation radio david leventhal welcome to forward nation radio i'm david leventhal this week, a medieval manuscript was discovered with the earliest known usage of the word fuck. Fuck yeah. This has nothing to do, actually, with the content of this show. I just thought it was actually pretty cool tidbit of information that perhaps the most underappreciated, the most expressive, and the most communicative word in the English language has a long-time provenance. So, yes, I might drop the occasional F-bomb on this show. But understand that when I do, it's just me going all medieval on your ass. And if anybody out there got that reference, well, Damien, our former producer, is the only one who might have gotten that reference. But for the rest of you, extra credit if you came up with it. Anyway... We're back to continue our discussions of what we should be learning from the coronavirus and from our reaction or lack of response to it, starting out with uh, what we shouldn't have to learn from the coronavirus, but we're still hopeful that maybe we will, and that of course is that we should not elect a narcissistic, incompetent son of a bitch as President of the United States. That should be an easy one for most of us, but for much of this country, it doesn't really seem to be such an easy call. I guess the idea of having a narcissistic, uh, pathological liar son of a bitch as President of the United States doesn't seem like a bad idea to some people. Well, it's seeming more and more of a bad idea the more this plays out. As more information comes out, the scale of our so-called Commander-in-Chief's incompetence and misconduct, even just gets larger and larger and larger. This is the rare thing for President Trump. This is a theme I've talked about a lot on this show. This is a man who has taken incompetence and irresponsibility to new heights, who has spent his entire life being irresponsible and being able to lie his way through anything that might come in his way, that might get in his path. Well, here's the thing about a virus as I've talked about with Mother Nature with regards to climate change. The virus isn't going to be fooled by Trump's lies, unlike maybe, you know, a U.S. government draft board. The virus doesn't give a shit what the President of the United States chooses to lie about, and it's going to do its will, so to speak. I was It was interesting, the New York Times, many of you will already have noticed this, many of my Longtime listeners and friends have reached out to me to make sure that I had seen the article in the New York Times that went through accounting for a list of some much of Donald Trump's ignoring of warnings early on in this crisis when actions by a competent president of the United States could have actually made a difference in the lives of millions and millions of Americans, let alone people around the world. But the president of the United States, of course, wanted none of that being concerned not with governing this country, but simply how he can profit off of it and, and advance his own agendas and ends. Well, the New York Times had this list. One of, our, one of our most loyal supporters, friend of the pod, Joel, had actually taken the time to come up with a compendium of examples in the New York Times where the president of the United States, who continues to walk around saying nobody could have predicted this and I'm doing a great job, in fact, was told many, many times over a span of a course of months that this was going to be a terrible crisis and he he needed to act upon it. The amount of examples that are now coming up in the media for how often people in our administration, even jackasses appointed by Trump, have said we somehow have to avoid the President of the United States when we try to get something done in this country because he is not a force for positive in this country, the most he could be is an impediment to the changes that we need. So people tried to go around the president of the United States who actually was getting in the way of our efforts to combat the pandemic early on when we could have made a huge difference. Of course, to this point, he still continues to get in the way and does virtually nothing to actually lead our response. We've talked about this before. I replied to friend of the pod, Joel, this was a really sobering read to read about just how much the president is lying about how many warnings he ignored and how incompetent he was. But of course, the question I asked for Joel is, do you think it's going to matter? Obviously for Trump voters, nothing's going to matter. Those people are too brain dead stupid for anything to matter. They will follow the cult leader right off the cliff. We know that. So let's not talk about them. Any any hopes that you had, Joel, to talk to some of your Trump-supporting friends and to actually change their minds with facts, of course, ignores the fact that facts are absolutely relevant to them. We still have hopes that the so-called low-information voters, those who don't pay attention and might be deceived by a snake oil salesman like Donald Trump, that some of those low-info voters could actually get the message, and could start to understand that they need to avoid Trump, well, shall I say it, like the plague. But of course, we keep being reminded that when it comes to low information voters, the most relevant question to be asking ourselves is how low can you go? How low information can a human being possibly be at this point that they might actually still be on the fence about Donald Trump? And the idea that we might sway some of those minds with actual facts, I hope that's not being a little too... Uh, naive and optimistic as well. I'm not sure that anybody believes it, but hope springs eternal. One of the other lessons that we shouldn't have to learn from the coronavirus or otherwise is, of course, about the commitment of one of our two so-called political parties to its war on democracy in America. A reminder that the Republican Party can only succeed in this country if it destroys democracy rather than promotes it. We talked about the latest in the war on democracy, well, as of a few days ago in our last pod, the absolute disgrace of forcing people to die in order to vote in Wisconsin, which the Republican Party was happy to do with the support of their Supreme Court cronies. But now more has come out even on that story about the latest in the war on democracy and, in fact, on mail-in ballots. The war on democracy, by the way, I am absolutely certain, well, confident that the big story of 2020 that will need to be reported every day of every week of every month leading up to the 2020 election, the big story will be this war on democracy because for the next seven months until the election, Republicans will be doing everything they can to destroy democracy in this country and almost certainly getting away with it. But it turns out it's being reported this week that the Trump and his Republican criminal organization fight against the expanded use of mail-in ballots, not just in Wisconsin, but they're continuing that fight now, and they will continue it for the next seven seven months, six and a half months until the election. Uh, The New York Times reminded us what was at stake and what was going on in Wisconsin. I want to read to you a passage from an article in the New York Times. The scene Tuesday of Wisconsinites in masks and gloves gathering in long lines to vote after Republicans sued to defeat extended mail-in ballot deadlines, did not deter the president and top officials in his party. Republican leaders said they were pushing ahead to fight state-level statutes that could expand absentee balloting. We are already at war with the concept of allowing people to vote in America. As awful as that sounds, and I think that is just remarkable that a political party would be blatant in doing this, As awful as that sounds, let me point out that that is too generous to the Republican Party. Too generous? Let me talk specifically about the part where it says that people having to wear in masks, risking their lives to go vote in really long lines. Well, that particular line didn't point out the fact that the Republicans did everything they could to make sure those lines were as long as possible, as they always do, to deter people from voting. But the fact that it says did not deter the president and top officials in his party is way too generous. Since, of course, not deterring the president and his party, that's the whole point of the long lines and people risking their lives is not a glitch. It's the feature. It's why the Republicans like this in the first place. It's it's to discourage people from voting. That is precisely the point. It's not a glitch. They're not going to be deterred by seeing long lines. They're going to cheer them. Because yes, reminder, they are this evil. One of the two political parties in this country is absolute evil. As I said in the pod last last week or last pod, we really need to remember that the Republican criminal organization right now is not the opponent's of reasonable, decent people who want this country to succeed. It is the enemy of that. This is a party who is saying people need to die so that we can win. Yes, that is how evil they are. And that is one of the lessons that's going to be repeated for the next six and a half months up until the election. It can never be forgotten how evil this criminal organization is. The party that closes polling places just so that people can't vote, this is their strategy. The fact that they steal all of the power in Wisconsin, we were reminded a Democratic governor managed to win a statewide election. That's because Democrats win elections. But the Republican legislature, which was not elected by the voters but was selected by the Republican Party, managed to stop him from trying to save the lives and promote voting, save, save the lives of his of his constituents and promote voting. <coughs> they stopped it. They stopped it in large part because one of the big issues on the ballot last week in Wisconsin was a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And like they have throughout the federal judiciary, it is necessary for incumbents to steal the court seats. And the only way that they could get the balance in their favor, considering that a majority of Wisconsinites continue to go out and vote Democratic, is to stop people from voting. They are trying to steal a seat again on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, so they can continue to steal the interpretation of law, as well as the enactment of law, just stealing every aspect of our democracy. Oh, and by the way, five absolute pieces of shit on the United States Supreme Court, who didn't even have the decency and integrity to sign the opinion that they wrote, overturning a well-reasoned federal district court decision that was premised on the law and on decency and the idea of promoting democracy and the Constitution in America. Five justices of the Supreme Court who have no business being there, in an unsigned opinion, overturned this well-reasoned decision with political shit, with political self-serving Republican garbage. And that is why, speaking of democracy, latest of hypocrisy watch for the Republican Party. At the same time that Republicans are preventing, doing everything they can to prevent Democratic voters from voting, they will do everything they can to ease voting for people who might vote Republicans. I was reminded through this whole thing about in 2000, while Republicans were stopping the vote count in Florida and doing everything they can to prevent people's vote ballots from being counted. People who, for instance, the, the you know, it's interesting, to important to remember that a lot of the ballots that they would not allow to be counted in Florida so that George Bush could steal the election was something called the overcounts, which is people who were confused by the ballot and who marked Al Gore's name, but also thought they were supposed to write in his name as well. So they marked the ballot twice for Al Gore. These votes were not counted by the Republicans. But you know what votes were counted, and this is relevant? Military ballots that were sent in after the voting deadline. After the voting day. What they would not allow the, the governor to extend the legal voting period, they actually just counted ballots late, daring Democrats to challenge the voting of military ballots was, of course, tend to overwhelmingly be Republican. This while they're cutting pl- vote polling places and making sure that normal people and people who might vote Democratic can't actually vote. Don't believe it could be this bad. Hope, as I had proposed last time and then shattered, hopefully, that the idea that, that Republicans fought to to prevent extending this election will mean that they're hamstrung in November? They won't be. Because they have no problem on Monday doing the exact opposite of what they argued for on Sunday. One of the things that, that came to mind as I think about how blatantly hypocritical the Republican Party is, knowing that they can always get away with it, is, do you think right now if there was a Supreme Court vacancy, not because one of the five pieces of shit finally had the decency to do something like dying and opening up a vacancy. But if one of the four moderates or liberals, the actual people who are on the Supreme Court trying to advance the law and reasoned argument, if God forbid one of them, one of those seats opened up, does anybody think that Mitch McConnell would not immediately fill that vacancy with Donald Trump's nominee? This is the same Mitch McConnell, of course, who would not do the same thing with Barack Obama's presidential nominee. Difference between the two? Barack Obama was legitimately elected by a majority of this country, unlike President Trump. Barack Obama also managed to not be impeached, unlike Donald Trump. But it won't matter. Rest assured, I can't imagine there's anybody out there who even, who even doubts this for one second. Rest assured that if the Supreme Court open seat opens up, the day before, the, the, after the election for that matter, if, even if Trump loses, they will rush in a Republican appointment, which is why the first thing Democrats need to put on their agenda if they retake power in 2020 is to, is to stock the Supreme Court with actual decent people unlike the political scum that's there now. Don't believe that this political party could be this bad and this hypocritical and this awful. Do things... So undemocratic and so uninterested in legal norms and and political norms. How about using a pandemic to ban abortion, as they're doing in Republican states around this country? There is no rational justification for doing this, but that doesn't matter. They see an opportunity to advance their extremist agenda. They're going to take it. Unlike people on the left, of course, who will nominate a moderate and reach out to try to make nice with the other side. Paul Krugman had an interesting op-ed a couple of days ago, interesting in the sense of, oh my God, we're all going to die. This is horrifying. I can't believe I'm reading this. But absolutely right on target. Um, About the fact that the United States of America is descending into fascism, into despotism. And if Donald Trump manages to steal the election in 2020, if Republicans manage to steal enough votes to steal an election, this country slides into despotism. I know it is hard to imagine. I'm having a running conversation with a with a very bright and informed former student I love talking to. And recently she, she she talked about what's been going on and she said she has hope that things will somehow work out, that either Trump will not be elected or the institutions will hold or whatever, that things will work out and this country will not descend into absolute anarchy, fascism, whatever we're heading to. And I responded to her by saying, I totally understand that. As much as I talk on this show about how awful things are and how we're all going to die, the fact is, I even find it hard to contemplate the idea that we could actually elect this son of a bitch again and destroy this country and our future. I look at my young children and I think, something is going to work. I don't believe in God. She does. Maybe she puts her hopes in a benevolent deity that will save us. I don't even have that to count on. But there's something about the human mind that just always looks for hope, that always finds a reason to keep functioning and keep going. And I think we're all doing that to a large extent now. But of course, I'm reminded as I think about this, and I have this conversation with myself about finding hope in the darkest hours, isn't this what German citizens were doing in the 1930s? Weren't they probably doing the same thing? Oh, Hitler's, I know he says some awful things, but this is Germany. These kind of things won't happen here. Yeah, I don't make that analogy lightly. Of course, takeaways number one through ten or so of this crisis should be what we learn about inequality in this country and basically the class war that we've had going on in this country for certainly at least 40 years, basically for the entire history of this country, with its ups and downs, but with the war being slaughter over the last 40 years since Ronald Reagan in this country. We should be learning a lot about that class war and inequality. I had a question a few weeks ago when we were still in class meeting from a student when I was talking about a progressive tax system and how someone like Jeff Bezos or anybody else doesn't, there's no reason for this person to have the unfathomable, unfathomable amounts of money that they have 160 billion or whatever it was at the time for Jeff Bezos. And I get pushback from some students all the time who generally agree with a, with a lot of what I'm saying in class. But this idea of somehow thinking that, that these people with incredible amounts of money are somehow superior to us. We have been trained to think this from the time we are born. I think Americans right now are presumably a lot like the slaves from times back who actually believed that there was some kind of justice in the system that had them, had them slaving for masters that might be superior to them. That's where we are, I think, in this country. We are trained somehow to think that these people are superior. It was interesting, I asked these students in general, just happened so in class today, online now, of course. Uh, we've been going over corporate pay and how it's determined how basically people are paid in corporations and how in fact, one can pretty much just describe it as people at the top of corporations, the top offices of a corporation, embezzling from corporations and stealing from shareholders who have absolutely no ability to do anything about it. And said, still think that it's all superior, that these people are earning the money that they're making? This idea that they are superior to the rest of us somehow, that their contributions to society are so irreplaceable, that they deserve these incredible sums of money. As Bernie Sanders pointed out the other day, the numbers fluctuate a little bit depending on, uh, on which, tax, which tax year you're looking at. But three American families have more wealth than one half of the U.S. population? Over 175 million people? How effed up is this? How much superiority do you need to believe they have to believe that there is any sense in this kind of a system? Well, how's this idea of their superiority looking right now during the crisis? As Jeff Bezos, for instance, sits in his palace, one of his many palaces, I'm sure, collecting gobs and gobs of money that his workers are making, who looks superior right now? Who looks to be the essential worker right now? In fact, who is the essential worker right now. Jeff Bezos doesn't have to go into the factories. He's certainly not that kind of essential. It's the workers on the factory floor who are deemed essential and have to go in and risk their lives every day so that they can continue to lay gifts at the feet of King Bezos and those just like him. Well, some of these workers, it turns out, who are the true essential workers showing themselves to be the true engines of our economy. Are starting to get a little bit pissed about that. And are starting to act on it. In what I think is some of the good news. Of the last couple of weeks. We have seen workers striking. All throughout our economy. It's about damn fucking time. Oh there's that medieval term again. It's about damn time that these workers started striking. For getting screwed all the time as they are. Now. Now. Of course, those workers are paying the price. Amazon, one of the places that we read that workers were were leading a work stoppage, well, the worker who was leading it was summarily fired by Amazon. But we're we're starting to understand who the drivers of our economy are, the fact that maybe we should be treating them a little bit better, and let's hope that this is something that survives the crisis. The fact that these people are being forced to work to to make money for their kingly leaders, despite inadequate safety measures, insufficient pay for the kind of risk that they are taking. This week, a doctor getting fired for speaking up about the lack of safety equipment where the doctor was working. Uh, this is again one of the one of the just the great lines from the New York Times. I think it was a sub headline, talking about the workers striking. Demanding greater pay and better access to paid leave and disinfectant. That's what the line said. Demanding greater pay and better access to paid leave and disinfectant. That's where we are. Let's put disinfectant to save your life, along with the idea of being able to feed your family and to be able to take some time off when you're sick. We look at the frontline workers who are getting sick and dying at staggering rates including many ER doctors and nurses. We've read that many of them are taking a pay cut while this is going on. How about this as part of the disaster relief bill? Anyone who continues working, their pay is automatically quadrupled. I know, that's ridiculous. If we added like six or seven zeros to the end of that, that would almost start getting into like corporate CEO territory. How about if we start with that? Taco Bell workers who work during this crisis, let's have their pay quadrupled, automatically. How about doctors and nurses to start out with? Turns out, as we've talked about before, and we're reminded of this during the crisis, much of this country's workforce has been turned into contract workers, temporary workers, and part-time workers so companies can manage to pay them less and not provide them with benefits such as, drumroll please, health insurance. Well, it turns out that a lot of ER doctors and nurses actually work for staffing companies, not for the hospitals where they work. Just like the rest of the economy, as a way to screw these people who are now risking their own lives, in many cases giving their own lives to save other people's lives and keep our economy functioning. A reminder of how firmly on the neck is the boot of wealthy people to the necks of poor people and everybody else in this country a reminder of the impact of the loss of unions in this country where workers have been left to fend for themselves, which means have no power to basically accomplish anything, so that workers continue to get the shaft while the corporations and the people who run them and own them continue to enrich themselves with, the, with what should be the earnings of their workers. We are reminded of the impact of the loss of unions as people manage to not get protection as they try to organize To get disinfectant in the workplace. While workers are struggling and dying to make money for their their corporate kings, those kings, we are reminded, are still doing great. We are reminded that they shouldn't be doing great. I've talked on this show, I talked in class. Why can't we just agree that nobody gets to profit off of the pandemic? That nobody in this particular case gets to gets to profit off of the deaths of their fellow citizens. I know that that's normal course of events in capitalism. That's how it works. We've had war profiteering and other types of profiteering, We've been profiteering off slavery for generations, centuries. But let's say that maybe during this crisis we put a hiatus, put that on hiatus. And we say that nobody should be able to to get rich off of this. So Amazon getting richer because of this, its profits being up. How about we just limit its its after-tax profits to what it had beforehand? I realized there were problems enacting this, and I've been told in class about, brought to light properly, some of the problems with enacting this. But I was reminded this week by an op-ed in the New York Times by... Two of my favorite economists, two of a very reasonable person, progressive person's favorite economists, Emmanuel Saez and Gabriel Zuckman, the guy, progressive economists who've been talking about how effed up our society is, our economy is, and how it screws workers, reminded us in an op-ed in the New York Times that we have done this in the past and actually arguing the same thing that I have been arguing. They write, the government should impose excess profit taxes, as it has done several times in the past during periods of crisis. I didn't even remember that that was the case. But I read this article, and now I know that I have some support for what I've been proposing for a long time. In 1918, all profits made by corporations above and beyond an 8% rate of return on their capital were deemed abnormal, and abnormal profits were taxed at progressive rates of up to 80%. I would go further and make it 90% or more. Similar taxes on excess profits were applied during World War II and the Korean War. These taxes all had one goal, says and Zuckman write, making sure that no one could benefit outrageously from a situation in which the masses suffered. Oh my God, I can hear the capitalists screaming now. I can't get rich off of my dead fellow citizens? That is outrageous. That is awful. Well, let's make them make this statement out loud. Let's make them say this. So even those low information voters have a little bit of a better sense of what we are up against. The corporate executives who are used to enriching themselves tremendously through theft and off the backs of others are reflected, of course, in the Republicans' efforts regarding the stimulus package or the disaster relief package that was recently passed, the 2.2 or so trillion. dollars, The extent to which the Republican Party has tried to basically use that money to be funneled into their own pockets and the pockets of their donors to make sure that the donations keep running in so that they can keep stealing elections. Isn't it nice how this just goes round and round and round and round? But since this was going on in the past week, Donald Trump has ousted a guy by the name of Glenn Fine, who was the leader of the watchdog panel overseeing how the relief trillions were spent by the president. We said right from the very beginning, it was clear that the Republicans were fighting any kind of oversight. The Democrats held up the bill until there was oversight. And I said, you know they're going to figure out ways to beat this. You know they're going to get around this. Well, they've already started firing the watchdogs. Instead, of course, also this week, Trump has nominated a White House lawyer, an absolute lackey, worthless son of a bitch, piece of shit, Brian Miller, as the special inspector general for pandemic recovery. So we don't need an actual inspector general, because this is, after all, how corporate leaders are used to working. They're used to overseeing themselves. They're used to the idea of corporate governance being that I will check and make sure that I'm doing a good job and I deserve that raise that I'm asking for. That's the way it tends to work. This is a guy, this Brian Miller, who's been praised repeatedly for his loyalty. Not loyalty to the United States of America, but to Donald Trump, the cult leader. Just what we need in a guy whose job it will be to prevent self-dealing by the cult leader. The guy who thinks the world of of the cult leader and will support everything he does. Trump and his cronies see this as an opportunity to steal many, many, many billions of dollars. But oh my God, Donald Trump loves America. Do you know that he's agreed to forego his presidential salary of $400,000? He's truly a great man who loves America. That's me doing my Trump-supporting fucking moron voice in case you missed that one. Yes, why accept $400,000 in pay when you have opportunity to steal billions and billions of dollars, which is going on as we speak. There's a total lack of justice between who's on which side, the side that is profiting off of the crisis, the side that is being asked to put their lives on the line to fight against the crisis. We are seeing throughout this country signs of People being good throughout this crisis, the the good that we have within some of us, and many who are bad. And we are, of course, learning for the most part that those who are bad are the ones who are generally profiting. Those, for instance, who are finding other people's cell phones and keeping them rather than returning them. Uh, um, Did you miss this headline that Darien, Connecticut, no relation to my child, one of the wealthiest towns in the country... Well, it turns out the opening of a drive-through testing clinic was canceled after resident about, complained about the site's proximity to their homes. That's right, wealthy people who don't want sick people being tested around them. Now, there's no reason that they should want that because we've seen throughout that wealthy people have no problem getting the tests they need. Pro basketball players have no problem getting the tests they need. I bet that wealthy people have no problem getting the ventilators they need. It's only the poor people, those who are doing the fighting, who are putting their lives on the line, who will actually be doing the suffering as well. And so we ask ourselves, as we talk about the culture war, how much we learn about the whole nature of heroism in this country. You know who's, you know who's dying because of the coronavirus? 9-11 rescue workers. rescue workers are dying part because they've gotten a little older, but mostly because because our government lied to them about the safety of 9-11 cleanup and denied them safety equipment. Sound familiar? We had a Republican president then too. What a shock. But because 9-11 rescue workers were denied necessary safety equipment, they're now dying because they have compromised lungs and illnesses that make them susceptible to the coronavirus. So as we look at who we should actually be looking up to and lording, and whose interests we should be trying to advance in this country, let's look at the concept of heroism. Because the people who 20 years ago we talked about as being true American heroes, even Republicans paid lip service to it. You know, the same people, of course, that they denied health care to, but that's another story. These are the people who are now dying, in part so that wealthy people can have everything they need, and of course, some wealthy people in Darien, Connecticut aren't inconvenienced by having testing centers near them and those kind of people who might come around. Versus, for instance, 9 11 rescue workers that is, people who should be going to prison because of the way they're acting during this crisis. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Richard Burr, United States Senator, who was, how do I put this in a way that I won't get sued, who There is a lot of evidence to make it look strongly like this is a man who could have engaged in insider trading, that he was getting secret briefings about how bad this crisis was going to be. And he proceeded to take that information and instead of warning his constituents, decided to steal their money instead by selling his stock to them, meanwhile assuring. His constituents at all was okay. He's not the only Republican senator to have done that. These people are getting rich. Heroes, anybody? The exact opposite. They should be going to prison and they should be rotting there for the rest of their disgusting lives. We ask ourselves as we come out of this coronavirus, will we see enough where we will ever learn to stop glorifying greed and selfishness? We will ever learn... That people who are greedy and selfish are not better than us. Almost certainly they are beneath us in every salient way that matters. Other than for the fact that they get to have everything they want and always will for the rest of their lives. I referenced loyalty in there and I'd like to continue to expand upon the concept of loyalty in our society. That discussion will have to wait for our next podcast, however. As we continue then our discussions of the coronavirus and our response to it, and what they teach us about some of the big issues in our society in the 2020 election. Till then, be well, be safe. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal.